from one generation to another. So I'm glad that I can transmit and speak about the goodness of God from one generation to another. So that's fantastic. And I will, uh, because I have a young audience, I will try to keep this clear and simple so you will understand everything I'm gonna talk about. Okay, so this is, uh, this is what I found when I, read, when I was reading Daniel. Especially uh, Daniel chapter 9. A beautiful picture of God's love and his righteousness. This is what I saw when I read Daniel 9. But before I dip into that picture, I just want to give a, big, a bit of background so you can all understand what I found there. And you can really appreciate the beauty I saw. So I want you to, for you to appreciate the same. So I will start by saying that God never meant the world to be like it is right now. Everything, all the things that are wrong in this world are, are because of one thing, sin. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. It was the perfect condition for human beings to flourish and live forever. God never meant for us to die. God never meant for us to suffer infirmities and diseases. Or he never meant for us to struggle in life, to suffer, to cry. No, when he created, everything was perfect. Yeah. But one thing happened. One thing happened is it was man made a choice and it was the wrong choice and because of that man we are all here suffering the consequences but we all know that God is good and God is love but and God forgive our sin but many people think ah God for, for God forgives sins because he is good because he is love so he has to forgive sins and it's not quite like that the Bible says that God is righteous, his righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. The same like in a country. If the judicial system, the police, the armed forces are not there to impose, uh, to impose all law and order, everything will be in chaos. The whole government will collapse. In a cosmic scale is the same. God is just and he cannot leave sin unpunished. Someone had to pay the price. Thanks God, he provided the perfect sacrifice. He provided his only begotten son, Jesus, to be liable for our sins. God is love, yes. God is merciful, yes. And, but because he loves us and because he is good, he provided a sacrifice, Jesus. So when Jesus came, came to earth, lived like a man, he experienced all the human experiences that we could experience. Happiness, sadness, sorrow, everything, you name it. But he was alike in, uh, in every way to us, but not in sin. He was a, the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice. So when he came to earth, he came with a purpose. He was the only baby that came to earth to die. So he came to make himself liable for our sins. So he carried his body, all our sins, past, present, and future, all your life of sins were placed in the body of Jesus. 
And so, when we say we die with him, the believer, yes, we are all believe in him. And because we all believe in him, all our sins, all our life of sins, past, present, and future, were laid on his body. So, we die with him on the cross. Is that clear so far? Yeah. Okay, let's continue. But we, we, he also, we know that he was raised from the dead. If, if we are not, let's think about it. If Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough for God to satisfy, to satisfy his holy wrath, to satisfy his holy justice, if that sacrifice is not enough, Jesus wouldn't raise, cannot raise from the dead. If we cannot be declared righteous, God cannot raise Jesus from the dead. That's why the resurrection is the divine receipt that shows to everyone, yes, I have been made righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we receive, how, how, how do we receive this? In Romans 6, is re, uh, I will give you a bit of context. This is talking about believing. Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was declared righteous because he believed in God. So it says, but also for us. This is not just for Abraham, this is also for us. It, right, referring to righteousness. Righteousness shall be imputed to us who believe in him. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered for all our offenses as, as a human race. And we receive that righteousness by believing that He is my sacrifice. He is my Lord, He took my place. We receive that by faith. And He was raised, not because He was God, yet yeah, that He was always was, He was God. But as I said, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead demonstrates that we have been justified. We are righteous and no one can take away that from us. Not even our own actions. One say we are always saved because we, we believe. We all are sitting here because we have placed our faith in Jesus. And no matter, and it's not depending on your actions. God is not assessing you. To bless you based on your works, based on your good behavior, based on what you do or you don't do. No, God is blessing you, assessing you based on what Jesus has done on the cross. When God looks at you, he cannot look, he cannot look at you without seeing Jesus because you are found in him. When he sees through Jesus, when he sees you, he sees through the eyes of his son. And you know what he says about you? You are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm pleased with you, regardless of what you have. Regardless of what you don't, regardless of if you lost your temper this morning. Regardless of the addiction that you are struggling with. He is proud of you. He is, you are the apple of his eye. So bear that in mind. So you have to believe that. Amen? Amen. Okay. Are we okay? I'm clear? Good? So far so good? Great. Let's carry on. And if Christ is not risen, as 1 Corinthians says, 
your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So if you somehow believe that because you did something this morning or this week or you are struggling with that habit and you think ah, I'm, falling from, fall, I'm falling from God's good view of me, that's not true. Because if you believe your, your righteousness depends on your behavior, that's right believing. You need to believe right in order to live right. It's what you are who determines what you do. It's not what you do who determines what you are. When you are fully aware that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you repeat this continually to you, and you meditate on this truth every day, as you go along the way, when you are driving, when you have your conversations with Jesus, when you say, thank you, my Jesus, because I am the righteousness of God in Christ in you, by you. When you believe that, and there is, everything will fall into place. That addiction you are struggling with will, at all the sudden, will finish. I spoke to a friend, and he told me, he's a good Christian friend, and he told me, Vlad, there is one thing I can have, I, I always been a struggle with, and it is smoking. I can, I have tried everything, I have tried patch, I have tried uh, hypnotherapy, you call it, I have tried everything, and it's not working. Then I told him, my friend, you don't need to struggle on your own. It's not about, uh, you cannot change yourself by your own efforts. It's not about behavior modification. All you have to do, every time you are having a path, just remember and say, thank you, because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And have your path. It may, just, just do it. Don't feel guilt, don't feel condemnation, because there is no condemnation for you, because you are already in Christ. And as far as God is concerned, you are perfect, and you are the apple of his eye. He loves you, he is delighted on you. So just go and enjoy life and remember, do, every, do this every time you smoke. And he started practicing this, just, just confessing while he having, he's having his ziggy. He came back to me and said, Vlad, you are not going to believe what, what is happening to me. I'm smoking less. The desire is not, old, is not, old, is not there. It's, I'm just losing the interest for it. So I told him, what did you do? Nothing, I just did what you told me. I just, just believing that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I was doing my path. And, and, and he's grateful for that, and he's still, he's still smoking, but he's doing it less and less. That's the power of right believing, because when you believe right, you will live right. It falls into pieces, yeah? The sanctification, the holiness, is a byproduct of you believing right. It's all about doctrine, because it's not about self-improvement. It's not about self-righteousness. You do this, you do that, you do that. No, it's about believing right. Okay? Bit of water. Okay. So what we need to understand here, what we need to understand right now, is that we are caught in the battle of the ages. The, this warfare didn't start with us. Didn't start when we fought, when we, when Adam fell into sin. All started well before that. Well, well before that, we were just caught in the in, in, in you, we were just caught in that battle. We were just victims of the enemy because he hates us, because he knows God loves us. So 
basically he, he, he was targeting us just to get to God. So you know Lucifer? Um, you know who is Lucifer? Have you heard of Lucifer? Okay, let me tell you a little story. Well before we were created, there were God, and he created angels. Yeah? And angels are powerful beings. They are not like you see like little babies with wings just throwing arrows to each other just to get to, for them to get in love. No, that's very that's very uh, infantile view of what an angel is. It's a powerful being, a spiritual being, perfect beings. Among those angels, there were a highest, the highest rank of angels were called archangels, cherubs. Yeah. So there were, as far as I can see in the Bible, I can, there are two famous, three famous archangels. Can you name one? Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. Yes. And as far as I know, I think God works in trees. His Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are a spirit. We have a body, mind, and a spirit. We have past, present, and future. So God works in trees. So they were these powerful angels. Yeah? And they were in charge of worshiping God. But I don't know what happens in Lucifer's head. And he just lost it. And he thought... Uh, maybe I can. He wanted to uh, get the worship that God was getting. So there is Ezekiel 28 tells a, uh, tells a bit about this story about Lucifer. It says, "You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering: the sardius, the topaz, the, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise." and emerald with gold. The war mansion of your timbrels and pipes w was prepared for you on the day you were created. It was, I mean, it was a wonderful being. Yeah, try to imagine that. In, in verse 14 it says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. So this is, this gives a clue what was his, one of his, uh, one of the job of the archangels was to cover anointed cherub that covers. That brings immediately the image of the Ark of the Covenant. Have you seen Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Do you remember the lead of the Ark of the Covenant? It had two cherubs, one facing each other, and they were this, doing this, covering, 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 uh, covering on the mercy seat. So that tells me that Archangels, that's what the first clue, are one of the jobs of archangels or cherubs was to cover the glory of God, the holiness of God. But there is a, the first mention of cherubs in the Bible, it comes from Genesis 3:24. After Anna and Eve fell and they were dropped out from the Garden of Eden, it says at the gates of paradise there were placed, let's read, so God drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that cherubim is the, is the Hebrew plural form for cherubs. So there were actually two cherubs protecting the entrance to the Garden of Eden, protecting the way through the tree of life. So that tells me that the, the work of angels they are custodians and guardians of God's righteousness and holiness. That's their main job. They are custodians and guardians of God's righteousness and holiness.
but Lucifer fell, and he still thinks in a some perverted way that that's still his job. That he is the guardian of God's righteousness and holiness. So when you want to tell me, if someone asks me what, are, what is the work of the enemy in the world, they can say wars in ISIS, killings, uh, little women fell, uh, going into prostitution. Yes, those are all the wars of the enemy. But the master, the master war of the enemy, the, uh, the cool de gras, the masterpiece of the enemy is being an accuser of the brethren. He's the one who is always promoting self-righteousness, legalism, promoting the law above the cross of Christ. That's the, his main word, accusing you, reminding, reminding you every time of your sins and your faults. Even when you are doing good, you are not doing enough. He's always nagging you, trying to find fault of you. You being a Christian, you being a Christian, a beautiful lady like you, and you're having these bad thoughts about the, the person who is standing here. That's the word of the enemy, every time. Pointing to your pitfalls, making you feel guilty with condemnation. That's the master word of the enemy. And as I hate, and as I, and, uh, so the Lucifer thought, okay, <clears throat> I know, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And if one of those fail, his kingdom will crumble and I will take over. This is what he thought. This is what he thought. And this is what he also thought. I will cause the one that he loves, man, to fail him. And then I will see how he's going to forgive him righteously. Then I will take his throne. That was his plan. He was going towards God. He was going after his throne. And that's, that's the way he did it. He did it to us. And that brings me to Daniel chapter... Six. This we know all Daniel. Daniel, if you know, all the people in Old Testament times, the, in the people of Israel were living in Israel, all happy, singing and dancing, but they were not behaving quite well. At some point, God, they forgot about God, and they just started worshiping other gods, foreign gods. So God say, enough is enough. I'm gonna take you into captivity. So they. Let's say we are living in England, so I'm going to take all these English people and they are going to leave to Colombia. Okay? Because they've been behaving bad. So this is what God did with them. Just drop them, drop them out to another country to live as captives. But among one of them, among, it was Daniel. Daniel was a young prince and he loved the God, the Lord. And because he loved God, he, God gave him wisdom and understanding in every matter. And he raised through the ranks. And he became one of the main officials in different kingdoms, under Babylonians, under, under Medes and Persians. I can't remember how many kingdoms he served, but he was always uh, in the top ranks, just helping the king making decisions. So at this time, a king called Darius, a Persian king, was in, was in power. And he loved Daniel. He was at his delight. I mean, the guy was so efficient. And he was always on time. He got everything that the king wanted to do. Daniel was always going ahead. So he loved Daniel. But the other people who were sharing government with Daniel, other governors and princes, were jealous about Daniel. They said, who is this Daniel? He's not even a Persian. He's just 
a captive from Israel. Ah, and he's in the top, I mean, second to the king. We cannot, we, I mean, they were jealous about, about him. So they plotted. They say, ah, let's do something. Let's flatter the king and tell him, you know, king, you are, you are the non plus ultra. You are the A1. There is no other person like you. you actually, you are God. Let's, oh king, let, make a degree, make a decree, a law, sign it, that for 30 days, everyone has to worship no other gods but you, oh king Darius. And Darius, because he was flattered, said, okay, sounds like reasonable to me, I will sign it, and he signed it. In that time, they do it with a, uh, with a ring. Put the ring on the tablet, done. Daniel didn't know anything about this. It was a trap. So when, he, when the king found out that Daniel was being, the, ah, no, and the, the punishment, sorry, I forgot to say about the punishment for not praising the king for 30 days was going to be thrown in the den of lions. You know lions, they are not kittens. They are massive animals. Uh, they can kill you with just one action of this. Anyway, so he found out that Daniel was thrown into the, into the den of lions. And the king, it says, okay, shall we read this? Because basically it summarizes what I just told you. So let's move on. And it says, and the king, when he heard these words that Daniel was thrown, was going to be thrown in the den of lions, he was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, o king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So they got him. He was greatly, Darius was greatly displeased with himself because he knew it was a trap. Yeah. So was king, was Darius a good king? No, he was a hidden king. Was the law a good, a good law? No, it was a bad law. Was Daniel innocent? Yes, he was, because he didn't do anything wrong. But although, he loved, although Darius loved so much Daniel, he could not do anything to change his, his decree. So here we have a picture of love being powerless against the law. That brings me to the New Testament, a different king, a holy king, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ. He, he was, I don't have the slide here, but I can tell you in John chapter eight, he was teaching in the, Jesus was teaching in the presence of the temple. With all the sudden, all the scribes and Pharisees came along and just threw at Jesus, at Jesus' feet, a woman caught in the act of adultery. And they, the guardians of doing the work of the enemy, guardians of God's holiness and righteousness, a pretension to be lawful when it was not like that. Because it was Jesus who brought the law to his right standard. You tell me that adultery is just sleeping with someone? When you even think and consider about it, that is adultery already. 
So Jesus always brought the law to its real standard. The scribes and the Pharisees brought, brought it to a low a level where it was easy to, to, to fulfill. But no, God never meant like that. The law was this standard, this high. It was designed for you to despair and say, no way I can keep all those laws. It was designed for you to bring you at the end of yourself. Anyway, these guardians of God's righteousness, now we know they are doing the work of the enemy, throw this woman. So we caught this woman in the act of adultery, being unfaithful. And according to the law of Moses, according to the holy law of the Lord, such should be thrown, church, sorry, such should be dead by stoning. She should be put to death by stoning. But what do you say, Jesus? They thought, we got him. We got him. If he says, forgive her, that he will be breaking the law. Or because he loved her, he cannot forgive her because the law is holy, the law is perfect, and the law cannot be broken. If he says, stone her, all Jesus' followers will say, hey, hey what's happening, Jesus? You are always talking about love and forgiving others, and now you are allowing this poor woman to be stoned. So everyone will be confused. So they thought, we got the guy. We got him. <laughs> but, oh my God, the wonderful wisdom of the Lord Jesus and my Father God, who is in heaven. He, so he said that he did that. He did this. He stooped down in the ground and he started writing on the ground. And all, so this brings to mind, this is an image that brings to mind when God write the law for the first time, the Ten Commandments, it was written by his finger on a stone. So it's the same, so he's doing, he's, what he's saying is, are you pretending to tell me about God's law? I am the one. I am the one who wrote the law. He didn't say that. But the very act that he did that, I think that's the symbol. So he stand up and he say, okay, whoever of you who, had, who is without sin, throw the first stone at her. So they never thought in their wildest dream that he was going to reply like that. Because none of them was without sin. All of us are, have sin. And starting from the old, oldest ones, one by one they start to drop. You may think that the older you get, the less sins and the less struggles that you have. No, it gets worse. <laughs> so from the oldest one, last to the youngest, all of them left the place. Then he was left alone with this woman. And he said to her, in a love, I, believe, I believe it was in a loving and caring way that only Jesus can exercise. Where are those who accuse you, woman? Any of them here? And she said, probably with tears on her eyes, no one, Lord. And he said, nah, probably give his hand to her and make her stand. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now you see a different picture. You see a picture of the law being powerless against the law. He was saying, I neither do I condemn you, 
just father put it into my account because I will pay for that on the cross so God don't believe that God forgives you out of his mercy or because his love or because he loves uh, God says ah boys will be always boys we just sweep everything under the carpet and nothing has happened no with God God is love yes God is merciful oh yeah but righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And he is righteous and he is just. And he cannot let God's sin go unpunished. So, with this image in mind, go out and think. You are, God is righteous in making the sinner righteous. God is righteous in making you and I righteous. Amen? Yes. God bless you guys. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you understand everything I say.